Good morning, everyone. Oh, that was so sad. Let's try again. Good morning, everyone. All right, good morning. Good morning. Welcome to chapel. My name is JD. I'm one of the chaplains here at Eastern Nazarene College, and I just want to welcome all of you to chapel this morning on this Friday. We have just a few couple announcements. The first announcement is, uh, can we give a shout out to the men's basketball team? Yeah? Yeah. 2-0. Blowout yesterday. It's amazing. Amazing. So that's great. That's awesome. Uh, the second thing is that um, fusion applications are due on Monday. So if you're interested in going on these trips, there's two that are going to be within the U.S. Uh, we've made it accessible and affordable and paired with some great organizations. And so if you're interested in that, come by our office. Um, you can talk with us or fill out the application online. The other announcement is that summer ministry applications are also being taken right now. And if you are a worship leader or you like to minister with youth and teenagers, summer ministry is a program. You go on the road for seven weeks, um, traveling all across youth camps and different things. Uh, and so if you're interested in that, come take an application and fill it out. Um, let's be mindful of Thanksgiving and the things that we can be grateful for. And be mindful of all the people that you know um, during the holidays. It's a great time to celebrate, but there's also uh, a sadness that comes for those who've lost people or who are struggling. So let's also be mindful of that. All right, will you stand? And pray with me this morning. Father in heaven, we thank you for this day. We thank you for gathering us. And I pray, Lord, that as we take a moment just to recognize who you are, I pray that you would just meet us, Lord. And for all of those people who are struggling or going through things, God, will you just encourage them? Will you let this time be uh, just a moment of fresh air, Lord, a moment of hope in their lives? Uh, we thank you for all the many blessings that you have given to us. And we pray that you will continue to be with us, Lord, as we worship you. In Jesus' name we pray. And all God's people said, Amen. Amen. You know, I began to, to pray as when, after Corey uh, asked me to speak. And um, about the text for today. And um, last summer, God really laid on my heart Habakkuk 3, 17 through 19. I've preached on it before, before Thanksgiving. It's, it's kind of counterintuitive. Thanksgiving is a, is a high holiday. We're thankful about all the things we have. And the prophet talks about all the things he doesn't have. And yet, he will rejoice in God his Savior. And as I was listening and living into this verse, I kept running into it. So I was doing research on Phineas Brzee. Um, for those of you that don't know, he, he was one of the founders of the Church of the Nazarene, um, was on faculty and, and, and founded the uh, Point Loma, which was Pacific uh, Deeds Bible College at the time. And this was handwritten in his, the last page of the last New Testament he ever owned, I think there was something profound in that verse, that passage that he understood in his life. I don't have time to get into that now, but it's an amazing story, and I really think it fits the, the schematic that we'll see here. I was, I, this has come up in my personal devotions, and when I was at the Board of Trustees dinner, it was assigned seating, and I met one of the, the trustees, and he just happened to mention that he was, it was his role to give the devotion to the board of trustees for this community this past October, and he spoke on this very passage. I think there's something that God has for us in these words. So I am humbled to be able to stand here. I didn't know what would transpire this week. God did, and I've thrown my manuscript away so many times trying to start over and keep up with what's going on in our world. 
So I, I humbly submit this to you, and I, I pray that God's word would re- not return to him void. Hear the word of the Lord. Though the fig tree does not bud, and there are no grapes on the vines, though the olive crop fails, and the fields produce no food, though there are no sheep in the pen, and no cattle in the stalls, yet I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful. In God, my Savior. The sovereign Lord is my strength. He makes my feet like the feet of a deer. He enables me to tread on the heights. Habakkuk, Habakkuk, however you say his name, the prophet with a funny name, is just in three chapters. He, but he's a, he's a small prophet with a big message. We don't know much about him. We don't know his vocation, like Isaiah, who worked in the, in the courts of, of the king, or Amos, who, who tended um, olive trees, or almond trees. Um, we don't know anything about him. Uh, scholars will tell us that he was a prophet to the southern kingdom before the exile, but this was just from reference to the text. He was a prophet in the minor leagues. Uh, he wasn't a major league prophet like, um, like Isaiah Jeremiah, uh, Ezekiel, or Daniel. But his message endured and made the canon, not just because he spoke it to Israel in a particular time and place, but because that message has, has life for people of all ages, as we will see. So he asked, he was a small prophet, but a small book, but asked big questions. Many questions, like some of my Christian tradition students, I, have, I told them I'd give them a shout-out this morning. Um, they helped me with this because they asked some great questions at the beginning of the semester. Questions such as, why does God let all of these wars and disasters happen? Why do good people suffer? Is there a bigger plan for all of us? What's my purpose? Why am I here? How far will God take us? To know and have a relationship with him. Are prayers always answered? How do you know if the Bible is real? Does God still speak in dreams and visions? How do you know if you have a dream from God? How do you know if God is talking to you and how do you respond? How do you define faith? Well, we can't get into all those questions today, but in this little book of three chapters, Habakkuk wrestles with many of them. I've learned as a pastor that people will often pose hypothetical questions to evade the real ones. I suspect in the beginning Habakkuk did this to some extent, too. Behind the questions are, God, do you see me? Do you love me? Do you care enough to intervene on my behalf when it's my day or my people's day of disaster? Big questions often arise out of crisis when life doesn't meet our expectations. When we are thrown a curveball, when everything goes south, when we face a dead end. Ever been there? Maybe some of you are there now. Confused about finding your place within this crazy mixed up world. The winds of circumstance can shift at any time. Just 10 days ago, social media was lit up over the red Starbucks cups. But with the headlines of this week, with the terror in Paris and Beirut, those cups are a distant memory. 
Life is like that. The smooth terrain can shake even in Massachusetts. This week, there was a 1.5 earthquake in Holliston. I kind of chuckled. That wouldn't be newsworthy from where I come from. When Southern California, it rocks and rolls. And as a result of that, we have some of the most rugged mountain ranges terrain in the world. The San Gabriel Mountains are one of those. They're not the tallest, but they're steep. We know, we live in a place that where you have mountains, you have valleys. Where you have high places, you have lowlands. And the wind will cut those sheer cliffs off like nothing flat. In Christian spirituality, there is a tradition of ascent to meet God. And as we see in this book, I'm going to draw out a little schematic there. For us, as we wrestle with some of these big questions and press on to the heights, it's a journey, it's a progression. And as Habakkuk was giving a testimony to the people, his community, in his time, but as leaders and, and um, followers of the Christian tradition have found life in his words, I'm going to share with you a testimony also today. Habakkuk says, when the crops fail, there's no success. When there is no food, there's no provision. When there are no cattle in the stalls or sheep in the pens, there's no backups. How did he remain thankful and rejoice from this place? How is this even possible? Well, he comes to this place. We're going to see in this book that he's going to help us move from fearful confusion to confident faith. This has many stops on the way, a place of wrestling, a place of waiting, a point of watching and writing or walking, interactivity, and a place of worship. The heights are treacherous and steep. And as we progress, we come to the edge of our faith, it seems, at every turn. The first place is the precipice of wrestling. How long must I call for help, but you do not listen, he says to God. Why do you make me look at injustice? Why do you tolerate wrong? Wow. Have you prayed those prayers lately to God? But, you know, it's interesting. I started there thinking it's wrestling. But before that, these are questions of protest. He's protesting the injustice and the violence in his land. And I'm wondering why this this prophet with a funny name that wrote three chapters, this little book, was the only voice. There were some other prophets. But I think the majority, the status quo, accepted it. This is as good as it gets. We better get used to it because this is all there is. We got to live with budgets and deficits. We got to accept the fact that this is my destiny. This is, you know, what fate has for me. And he says, no. He went to God and he says, God, why do you tolerate this? I know that there is more. This is, this is not okay. This is not justice. And I'm not satisfied to say that this is, this is enough for me. He, he says, we get it, yet he's confused. We see that his language is pretty self-focused. Why do I have to look at injustice? Why do you make me look at injustice? He's still, he's still wrestling. He's living amidst strife and conflict. Justice was perverted. So the wicked prospered at the expense of the righteous through arrogance, extortion, and violence. He was perplexed by the frustrated by the continuance of evil. 
He could not understand why God would not intervene to restrain the godlessness around him. God's apparent slowness caused him a great deal of confusion and concern. What do we do when our world doesn't make sense and our faith in God, as we know know it, seems far off and too distant or feeble to help? The first place is to admit our confusion and come to God. Our powerlessness, our weaknesses, that we've come to the end of ourselves to cope or to fix it, and maybe even at the end of our faith, because our faith may be too small. We have to face our own confusion and admit it. And the truth is, getting to honest with God is sometimes easier than getting honest with ourselves. Sometimes, it's no mistake that when you have mountains, you have valleys. It's a spiritual principle that to go up, you have to go down, down on your knees to surrender to God's higher ways. The good news is that God responds. God's word says before a word is on our tongue, he knows it completely. He inclines his his ear to the brokenhearted. He's near the brokenhearted and those questioned spirit. But the wrestling continues. Round two. The Lord responds, look. At the nations and watch and be utterly amazed at what I'm going to do in your days. You would not believe it if you were told. I am raising up the Babylonians. And it goes on to describe these ruthless people that come in and they ride on leopards, their technology. And it brings terror to him. You mean to say that God could use the unrighteous to judge the righteous? Well, that's what it says. My mentor once encouraged me, I lamented about my resume, the way things were going. I said, it looks schizophrenic. It's over here and over there. And she said, you know, God sometimes draws straight with crooked lines. So just as to ascend, you have to descend. There are times when to advance, you have to go around. Around here, you call those rotaries. Some people call those roundabouts. I can't tell you how many times I've gotten lost on those things. We don't even have those. We I think we call them traffic circles, but I'm not sure. I only know of one in the whole of L.A. area. But the truth is, God can turn the tables on enemies. Nations can rise and fall overnight. In my generation, we saw the dismantling of the Berlin Wall and the the breakthrough of the Iron Curtain. Just a couple years ago, we saw the Arab Spring. And God, we forget sometimes that God is active on the world stage. Now, he's not responsible for all the bad news and the violence, but he can work in and through it. And that is our hope. You know, in World War II, churches were silent when this great atrocities of the Holocaust happened. Save for a few like Dietrich Bonhoeffer and some other German martyrs that said, no, we can't be silent. We cannot. We have to speak up in our world and believe that this is not the vision that God has for us. To have courage to speak out. They were martyred. What happened to the German church is they fell under the same bombs that the rest of Germany did. And the judgment of the nations. The church, the the, the judgment comes first to the people of God. But you know, that's not the end of the story. I love this because one of the greatest gifts to the worldwide church is a man by the name of Jürgen Moltmann. He was influenced. He's German. He was influenced by the ministry and writings of Dietrich Bonhoeffer during that time. And he penned a work, his magnum opus, called The Crucified God. 
That even when we suffer from our own wrongdoing or the wrongdoing of others, that God is suffering with us. He wrote a theology of hope that this is not the end of the story. That though we are crucified with Christ and Christ is crucified remembering us, that the resurrection will come. That he will be the first word and the last word. So even in judgment, even in times when we are scared and when we don't know what to do, we can trust that there is always hope. And this is not a personal, private hope. This is a world, a global hope. And we need courage. We need people to speak it into the earth and to live into it. The next precipice is the precipice of waiting. Habakkuk still didn't understand, but the language changes. He begins to see how holy this God is. He says, are you not from everlasting to everlasting? My holy one, we will not die, even when we're being judged. He took solace in the constancy of God's character and reminded God of his ways. I imagine that Habakkuk was immersed in the stories of of old, of the exodus, of Abraham, of Joseph, of the people of Israel, and to say, look, if you've delivered us back there, you will deliver us here. But then he says, why do you then tolerate the wicked? He goes back, why are you silent while the wicked swallow up those more righteous than themselves? This this assertion, even in these questions, he makes an assertion of faith, that he will not die. That he will see the goodness of the Lord in the land of the living. He continues and he says, I'm going to watch and wait. I will stand watch at my station on the ramparts. I will look to see what he will say to me. This is not passive waiting. Habakkuk is resolved to watch and wait. The attitude here is expectation. He is not letting God off the hook and he's not going anywhere till he gets, he hears from him. You know, God does speak. I know this sounds mystical or irrational or fanatical. I turn, I prefer the term enthusiast. Um, Wesley was considered an enthusiast uh, because he experienced God. He didn't just read about him. He, he experienced him. Brzee championed enthusiasm. But how about this? How rational is it to believe that the God who made the ear cannot hear? Or the who God who made the mouth cannot speak? That's a little paraphrase from Isaiah, so footnote there. Brzee says, does God hear and answer prayer? Does he reveal and manifest himself? Does he deliver his own? Wait in the inner temple long enough and you will hear the divine voice. God is not dead. He has not deserted the field. Deliverance comes not by observation. Deliverance for God's people comes straight from heaven. In this day, God must stretch forth his hand. New Pentecost must be revealed. Human wisdom and power are as inadequate for this work as they are to turn the wheels of the universe. It is the coming of Christ in the power of atoning love and the glory of the Comforter, which turns the desert and the, to the garden of God and makes the wilderness to bloom. So then the Lord speaks. He says, Habakkuk, write the vision down and make it plain on tablets so that a herald may run with it. For the revelation awaits an appointed time. It speaks of the end and will not prove false. Though it linger, wait, it will surely come and not delay. He says, see, he is puffed up. His desires are not upright. But the righteous will live by his faith. The vision, what is he writing about? Well, there's a list of about six, seven woes, judgments. 
um, not the most uplifting devotional reading, but to Habakkuk, this was hope. It was to say that those people who have who've built nests for themselves on the backs of others, those that have oppressed the poor and have 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 um, gotten wealthy or or made a life for them with dishonest gain, that they they would ha- their time would come due. And judgment time comes on his oppressors. God remembers his timetable when we forget. He told Abraham, Abraham, your descendants will be slaves in, in, in Egypt. There'll be many, but they'll be slaves in Egypt for 430 years. You know what God did the year 429, the, the 364th day of that year? He told the people, put your traveling clothes on. They'd never been anywhere. And you know what it says? It says, the Lord kept vigil to bring it to pass. And the Passover came. In Jeremiah, it says, the the Lord watches over his word to perform it. And he's the prophet that prophesied that and bought a field, bought real estate to say, yeah, you're, you're going to Babylon for a while, but you're coming back. The Lord will watch over his word to perform it. And sure enough, 70 years, they came back. So, the, the, the verse says that the, it's coming and will not delay. The, the, in Hebrew, the word is like it pants. It, it, it's, it's coming quickly, though it's just out of, our, it's out of our range of vision. We can't see it, but it is coming. But he says the righteous will live by faith. And in Hebrew, it could be faith or faithfulness. It is not self-sufficiency. It is not having backup plans. It is not saying, well, I'll do this in case God doesn't show up. Um, I'm tired of waiting. I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to make my own way. You know, um, it is living by faith. Um, and the righteous here, Martin Luther, Paul used it to talk about that we're not saved by works. In both Galatians and Romans, Martin Luther picked up on it that faith is trust in a, in a personal God, not just a historic figure. That it is, it is a confidence that comes like fiduciary, like we get that, that word that, um, that deals with money and, and, and trusts. That, that it doesn't matter what you have, it matters where you place that trust for the returns. That's the idea that we can trust God and his faithfulness. And then in that process, somehow we become united with him. We begin to see things from his perspective and we become changed and we can live in a place that is, that is a bigger reality based on, on what abundance, not uh, deficits. So this is an interactive faith. And so because of that, he told the prophet to write the vision. And so he did. And then Habakkuk worships God. He says, I have heard of your fame. I stood in awe of your deeds. Renew them in our day and make them known. In wrath, remember mercy. And he has this kind of theophany experience. I don't understand it. He starts to see God in his glory and he writes about it. And, um, and, he, and, and he drew strength from that. The truth is every generation must renew their faith in a God in, in their day. And um, when I was 20, I was asking the same questions. God, you know, I've heard of your deeds. I've heard of your fame, but can you do this in my life? My plans for, for graduate school had fallen through. I had, it was set up to go. My, re, my application was hand-carried to U of I. 
I was set to study, teach English as an international language, and the director was married to my mentor. It was very convenient. <laughs> and, and the faculty at Wheaton College really encouraged me to get it, and they were talking about having me come back. And to finish, I had to graduate early. I was a summer grad, so I went to Israel, to Egypt and Rome, and it was a summer tour. And the plane was set to leave on Tuesday. That meant I had to move out of my apartment And I did, and the day before, it was Friday afternoon on Memorial Day weekend, the day before the plane was to leave, I found out I didn't get in. It was too late to phone a friend, send a resume. It was too late to do anything to save this. I had to go to Israel and walk around the land of Jesus not knowing where in the world I was going. So I said, Lord, this is great. This is really interesting. But I want to know, can you do it in my life? Can Can you rescue me from this? I had moved everything to Chicago, and my, my dad, he, he doesn't like this idea of following ministry, so he said, don't come home if you run out of money. So I knew I couldn't go back to California. So I trusted God, I prayed, God, please show me where in the world do you want me to serve. I've committed to follow you wherever you would lead me, and I mean that, but I have no idea. The world is a big place. And I was packing my boxes, and I heard him say, I know your address. I said, well, that doesn't help me, God. I don't know. Can you tell me what state it's in at least? Nothing. My friends prayed for me, and they said, well, at least just come back. You know, we can only keep your stuff for so long. And so I did. We went to Greece, and we were at the Areopagus where, Mar- where Paul preached on Mars Hill. And we heard that God sets the times and seasons of people's lives and determines the exact places of where they live. And I said, God? I heard that. Did you hear that? I need to know. Where am I supposed to live? Then we went to the port of Centuria. And our guy, Dr. Angelatis, talked about Paul, who was there. But he talked about Phoebe. I'd never heard of Phoebe. And he said, ladies of Wheaton, um, Phoebe was the ambassador who carried Paul's letter of Romans to Rome. She was a saint, a patron saint in this church, right here in this spot. And God is calling some of you to take his word to people. And I thought, well, Phoebe, how did she plan for that? How did God interrupted her life and she was ready? So I said, Lord, make me ready. We went to Israel. We walked around. We saw the pool of Siloam. We went through the Via Dolorosa. We went through all these places. And I said, Lord, this is great. I am encouraged to see what you've done. Can you do it again in my day? We had come through Nazareth. I was beginning to be stirred. I thought, maybe I could teach. I'd been in Europe before, and I could go back and teach at the ENBC, at the Nazarene Bible College. I said to one of my roommates, I said, I think maybe I'll check that out and see. So I wrote postcards to headquarters in in Kansas City and into Switzerland, uh, the regional field office in Europe. And I said, I'm going to be at General Assembly in a few weeks. I'm available for service. Let me know if you have anything. No return address, no contact, and in a matter of a few days, I get a call from Nazareth, and I don't know anyone in Israel, specifically asking for me, is this you, God? I I called the number. I was a little nervous about that. I I had my passport. I had everything with me, and and, uh, they said... We're Nazarene missionaries, and headquarters contacted us, and they think you might be here, and so they want you to call them collect. Back in those days, that means that the other party pays for the call. So so I did. 
And they said, how would you like to come to the European Nazarene Bible College to teach? I said, that's great. I said, Father, there's a little problem. I have some student loans, and this was a voluntary position. So they said, okay, we'll get back to you. I said, that's fine. I'll, I'll be in Indiana in a few weeks. We can talk then. We left Israel, went to Egypt, into Rome, and I get a phone call in my hotel room in Rome. Headquarters had tracked me down again. And they said, we have a contract. We want you to come, but you need to come in three weeks. I said, it's impossible. I'm leaving Rome. I'm going to Budapest for a week. I've got to go back to Chicago, to Indiana, to you know, the General Assembly, sign the papers, drive to California, and be back in Switzerland in three weeks. Impossible. Can't do it. They said, we have students coming. We need somebody to teach them. you got to come. I thought, well, this is God. God, you've, I don't know how this geography is going to work, but if you're in it, you can do it. So I said, okay, I'll come. So I was excited. That was the last day of the tour, though, by the way. God is on time right at like 11.59. So, um, so I made my way home, went to Budapest, came back to Indiana. And um, in the crowd of 20,000 people at General Assembly, my mom runs into a couple from our small local church that didn't plan to be there. They said, what are you doing here? What are you doing here? Uh, well, we went to a family reunion and... Our family gave us an extra car they didn't want, and we're driving, we're caravanning from uh, Indiana to Chicago back to Los Angeles, to my hometown. I said, Are you, can I pack your cars full of stuff and move home, move back? And they said, sure. So God covered the details, and we got back. And, uh, but on the way, I stopped at headquarters in Kansas City to sign the documents. And I was like so excited that God did this in my life. I thought, he's real. He's real. It's not just 2,000 years ago. He can, he can, he can work the, the angles and take care of his own. Then I met Brenda Cole in the World Missions office. She said, Julie, you don't know what an answer to prayer you are. I said, you have no idea. My life had crashed. I had no idea what I was going to do. And this is a miracle God's done. And she said, well, we had a couple lined up to teach. And uh, an older couple, and one of them ended up having routine medical screening and had cancer and had to back out at the last minute. So we scrambled and we found a young couple to go teach. And the last minute before leaving, they found out they were pregnant. We had students we'd recruited from all over the East, from Europe, from Africa, from the Middle East, coming, and we had no one to teach them. And it was too late to just start overlooking. And we knew you were at Wheaton and had been in Europe before. So I pulled your file, and it was open on the desk. And that very day, now this is snail mail, the postcard arrived from Israel. And she said, this is, she showed it to the director, and if that wasn't enough, that very day, a fax, and this is old technology, a fax came from Switzerland, the regional director's office there got the postcard, faxed headquarters, and said, I think you need to call Julie to come. And so we worshiped and rejoiced. This is not my story to say that this is, I'm special. This is God's story. And God's, the testimony that he worked in the lives of his people is for the people of faith. Brenda worshiped, we worshiped, and, um, it, and it, was, it was amazing. It was in Switzerland where I met the first woman that was ordained. I was 26, had never met a woman that, was, that preached. I didn't understand that. 
And it was there that I realized that is something that I am called to do and I have to pursue that. No matter the cost. No matter if there's sheep in the pens, if there's, if there's grapes on the vines, I have to be faithful. God is my strength. And because of this experience, because I know he's real, I've seen him work in my life, that has helped me in pastoral ministry. It's helped me in working with students to say that this is not something that we just know. We live and, and, and to help families when they're at the ends, the dead ends of faith and edge of faith, when they're suffering, when they're in the mean, confused and trying to get to confidence. The good news of, for Habakkuk is that even though we may be suffering in a place where we don't see the fruit, Habakkuk maybe didn't. In Hebrews, it said there were people that didn't see their faith. Oh, I don't like that first. I want to like cut it out of my Bible, but it's true. But you know what? That little prop, that little book, that prophet with a funny name inspired the Apostle Paul to write the book of Romans. He triggered, which Martin Luther took to ignite the Protestant Reformation. He inspired the writer of Hebrews to encourage a persecuted church. And his word stands true today to inspire the community of faith. That no matter what we face, personally, as a church, and as a, as a college community, no matter what we face as a global church in a 21st century, no matter what you face as a young person trying to find your way in this crazy mixed up world, God is your strength and he can take you on the place of the heights. And that is our hope. And we can be thankful no matter what because of this. So I leave you with this this morning on the, the, the chapel service before Thanksgiving. If you don't feel like it, maybe this will give you a reason to rejoice in your Savior. Amen. Will you stand with me? Receive this prayer as a benediction. Father, we thank you for the mountains, Lord, and we thank you for the valleys. And even when we see injustice and suffering around us, God, whether it's in the world or in our own lives, we know that we can hope in you. And so, God, help us to remember who you are and the ways that you have worked and help us to trust that you will continue to do so. Go with us from this place. Keep everyone safe. We pray, Lord, that you would open our eyes to see your kingdom. In Jesus' name we pray. And everyone said, amen. You're dismissed.